You're listening to Energy Insiders, a weekly update on clean energy and climate policy with Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading energy analyst David Leach. Energy Insiders is brought to you by Solar A Energy, experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring, and Wattwatches, providing super smart devices to monitor and manage energy use. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode and a brand new year for Energy Insiders, the podcast for Renew Economy. My name is Giles Parkinson, I'm the editor of Renew Economy and joining me as he has for much of the past two years is David Leach, ITK analyst. David, how are you? Giles, I'm very well. I can hear an aircraft taking off uh, in the background and to me it's symbolic of the uh, outlook for renewable energy over the next couple of years. Well, that's right, yes, and sometime it's going to land, and um, I suppose the boom in renewable energy investment will probably land as well. Look, before we go any further, I just want to start straight out of the blocks and thank our sponsors, ongoing and very supportive Solarate Energy and Watt Watchers. Um, they've been both been with us for more than a year now, and it's fantastic to have their support, and may it be long-lasting. David, um, a fair bit to catch up on. Uh, We haven't broadcast this podcast for about five weeks. A lot has happened over summer, but let's just start off with politics. And I know it's not your favourite subject, but it does set policy and things like that. Some interesting things happening. We had Zali Stegel, the uh, former world um, Olympic skier and barrister, taking on Tony Abbott in his seat of Warringah. And we also have Oliver Yates taking on Josh Frydenberg in the seat of Kuyong, the Menzies seat, the big traditional seat. And if reports are to be believed, we may even have uh, Julia Banks taking on uh, Greg Hunt in his seat of Flinders. Now, each of these seats might be, or they're all very traditional coalition seats, they might be slightly vulnerable given the sort of the gyrations of politics. But um, an interesting move, no guarantee of success for any of these three parties, though. I heard Zali Stegel, she came in and gave a speech when I was at JP Morgan, uh, and uh, she said in her final race, uh, she fell over, but she didn't mind. She was giving it her absolute max and she'd rather fall over. And, uh, and miss out rather than uh, not try hard enough and miss that way. So, look, uh, it's great to see all the independents. Uh, I guess we've see, also seen a Senate inquiry uh, into the um, um, uh, 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 government powers into generation with, uh, federally. We still have a big worry, I think, and I express it as a worry, as to what uh, proposals Angles Taylor will receive in the form of new coal-fired power stations, but there's no good speculating about that before we get there. Uh, we've still got lots of worries about the transmission being late, as I pointed out in the story to just before Christmas, the energy uh, ESB. I have to start remembering all these a- acronyms again, Giles. Uh, yes, that's right. The, the Energy Security Board, for those new to the podcast, the ESB, yes. Uh, they're pointing out that all the transmission upgrades are currently running about 12 months behind schedule, which is not good news for renewable energy. Uh, and then we've got the New South Wales state election, where despite numerous promises, we still haven't seen the formal ALP policy uh, as to what, if anything, they propose to do about electricity. Well, that's very true, actually, and it's only two months away. Just yeah, in fact, it's less than two months away. So um, everyone's been dancing around the federal election, getting very excited about that. And the only little bit of a policy announcement we've had from the Labor in New South Wales is something about electric vehicles, um, which sounded very nice, but actually amounted to sort of fairly small bickies. But unless it was a step in the right direction, so um, yes, I think um, we'll be needing something a bit more concrete on that. 
concrete or something to get us going. That's that's right, Giles. So that that's on the uh, politics side of things. Of course, we've had a traditional summer for the last two years. You and I have debated how much of a risk there really was of having uh, outages as a result of having too few coal-fired power stations and not enough renewable energy and not enough dispatchable energy, I think it's fair to say, uh, wherever it's sourced from. I think we've already come fairly close this year. Well, we did have some load shedding uh, in Victoria. Uh, we've had, uh, as usual, when prices are high, everyone wants to pick on the on the generators as being the nasty people and just uh, playing by the rules and taking advantage of the high prices. But uh, I would make my usual argument that if the high prices induce a supply response, it's uh, so I, I'm never going to blame a generator for taking playing within the rules. Yeah, no, interesting. Yes, well, they certainly don't miss um, when they um, when they do put up the prices. Um, I probably argue that the rules probably need to be changed to try and reduce that. Um, I think Adrian um, um, Merrick, Merrick, from, uh, Merrick from yes, Energy Locals. Um, well, he's 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 a man. And he's got a business who's um, vastly exposed to um, moving spot prices, of course. So he's got. Um, He's got a cause for complaint. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens when we do get some regulatory changes, a bit more bite in the rules, a bit more bite from the Australian Energy Regulator, and particularly changes to the five-minute rule to see what, if anything, that changes in, 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 in bidding strategies and, um, and high prices. But um, as you say, high prices should be a signal for investment. And listen, I just want to go back to something you mentioned about Angus Taylor and this sort of um, and this uh, bidding, this contract, this rushed um, expressions of interest. And in fact, it's not even an expressions of interest; it's a request for um, a request for um, interest from various parties in this sort of um, seeking new generation. We've heard reports in the Australian pretty much only, and maybe sort of you know a wink and a nod from the energy minister's office that this is true. That uh, Trevor St Baker is going to build or wants to build two new coal-fired units in Victoria, possibly backed by Chinese money. David, you've worked in the industry a long, long time. I mean, is this remotely feasible? What sort of subsidy would they need to actually get up such an idea? And should we really be worried? Or is this all just sort of, you know, just movement and talk? Well, uh, I think there's a lot of uh, movement and talk in it, to be honest. Trevor St. Baker, as I've pointed out, is probably already older than Vales Point and Liddell coal-fired stations added together. And it's hard to uh, hard to see, um, uh, you know, much enthusiasm. Chinese backing. I don't know why it's okay for coal-fired generation, but it's not okay for net transmission and distribution, uh, or for Huawei or something. I mean, it's kind of as usual a lot of picking of winners. But I think the really bigger point is that getting these big projects up and up and running requires a tremendous amount of friends, a tremendous amount of support on a 50-year lifespan. And I'm not so sure that the banking industry is going to be rushing in to support it. In fact, I'd be, I'd be pretty amazed if, if it can actually get done. However, I would never say never because history proves that things do get done that you think are impossible. But if I was a betting person, I'd say not much chance. Not much chance. And look, just imagine it did actually happen. What's going to be the effect on the other generators? It's actually just going to sort of force another coal generator out prematurely, isn't it? Uh, that's exactly right. I mean, if you go with the 50% renewables target that Labor has, which I think most of the industry actually forecasting, <coughs> forecasting to, if one coal-fired generator has been subsidised over its entire 40-year life or 10, 20-year life, 
then it will be able to bid in lower than the other generators and so the other guys will be forced out. But hey, if you're Angus Taylor and you hate AGL and don't like Origin too much better, what do you care about that? Indeed, indeed. And um, look, just to sort of row back on where we started from, from the politics, one person who's um, particularly horrified with the current state of policy and has been for some years and a very disaffected member of the Liberal Party and possibly no longer a member of the Liberal Party is Oliver Yates, as we mentioned. He's taking on uh, Josh Frydenberg in the seat of Kuyong and uh, we got to speak to him earlier today and this is what he said. Oliver Yates, thanks for joining Energy Insiders. Thank you, Giles. It's good to be here. You have decided and announced that you're going to take on Josh Frydenberg in one of what we probably call classic liberal seat of Kuyong. Why? Well, Giles, that's an interesting question, and I get asked that uh, from time to time now, but I think the, uh, the question needs to be rethought. Um, the issue and failure to address climate change um, is severe uh, and threatens Australian citizens and global citizens. and um, However much I've tried and however much I think all of us in the industry have, have spent time explaining to this government uh, that we can uh, produce power cheaply, effectively, sustainably, uh, they fail to take any serious action on climate change and that is extremely unacceptable. So, um, so it isn't really why I'm running, but it's actually why uh, many more of your listeners out there are not running. I know it's not fun uh, what, what I've uh, been subjected to, and you've seen the papers already, I'm sure they're all going to be great, and this is the, the joys that you get into. Um, but there are many industry leaders uh, who should be standing up now and uh, and taking doing exactly what I'm doing, which is um, standing up for what's right, um, clearly at a time when the environment is under severe, severe threat. If we don't get this right now, Giles, we could have uh, another four years of inaction and, uh, you know, if you look at the pictures of those fish floating in Menindee Lakes, if you look at the fires that are now roaring their way through uh, through Tasmania, and if you look at the heat we've been suffering uh, everywhere and, you know, the IPCC report 1.5, it's immoral to not stand up. So that's what uh, I'm doing, and um, I live in Kuyong. Um, uh, Josh is my local member, um, and I believe it's the right thing to do, and I don't believe I cannot stand is your goal then to make a point and make a splash and make a lot of publicity or do you think you have a realistic chance of actually unseating him? Well, I'm not really that um, keen on publicity, Giles. I always like a competition with a good chance or a chance of winning. Um, and I think, you know, many of your listeners would know that when I first took on the role at the CEFC, um, this government came out pretty hard and, and uh, took every possible swipe they possibly could to try and... Uh, destroy the institution, which has proven to be uh, a great support and uh, for the overall industry. Um, I look at it as a numerics game as well here. I, I think that I have a, um, a reasonable chance or I wouldn't be wasting my time. I'm not into um, to grandstanding for the purposes of grandstanding, but um, I think there is a chance that, uh, that I could win here and I think there's a chance that other uh, independents may win in their seats and we may actually be able to create a fundamental change. And what's exciting, Giles, about this fundamental change is if I can motivate citizens in this seat to get up and get engaged and vote for me, then there's no reason why across the globe citizens in other seats, in other countries where environment ministers or governments are failing to act, cannot actually do the same thing. So, 
you know, I know it's a bold statement, but uh, you don't know if uh, if this could be the start of something. But clearly, it has to change, and uh, and I think I've got a crack. So, with all the other independents, there's actually an interesting prospect of having a sizable block of like-minded independents in the uh, in the next House of Representatives. Is there, that that a prospect that uh, that uh, excites you? Well, look, I think it excites excites uh, uh, certainly excites me, um, and it could well end up producing a better result, Giles. We haven't had um, a situation where there's been um, a significant number of independents um, who are in a position to influence legislation in the House of Representatives. We've seen the influence of what it can mean only just recently, um, as they've been able to put, push through some legislative changes. But, uh, you know, times have changed and, and really Parliament stayed very much the same way. And our ability as members to communicate with our electorate is completely different to the way it was before. So I think people uh, are quite interested in the prospect of having members in, in Parliament who actually represent the views of their electorate through reaching out to their electorate and having, you know, committees and um, uh, uh, forums where they can ensure that um, what they're taking to Parliament actually represents the views of their electorate rather than what their party f tells them that they're going to be served up for supper. Why do you think that the this government has found it so hard to accept the proposition that you sort of stated at, at the start of the interview, which is basically that there is this wonderful opportunity with cheaper and cleaner energy to affect this transition that um, everyone realises is so necessary and, and, and presents such an opportunity? Look, that is um, something which someone's going to have to do a PhD uh, on, Giles, because you would assume that politicians are sensible, informed individuals. and. Um, anyone assuming that they're sensible, informed individuals would assume that they're able to do the same analysis as we all can in the industry, um, which would tell them quite clearly that the opportunities are, are for the switch to renewables are, are great. Um, job opportunities, the opportunities to provide clean, clean energy um, cheaply and in a way which is um, stable and um, predictable and, and secure, um, they can see that. Um, but they just don't want to believe it. So it's not, uh, and it's annoying that they have to use this word believe it because there isn't really any belief to be had here. So I'm left with um, an unhappy feeling that there's some dark motive or some cash or remunerative or donation motive that, uh, that underlines this because I fail to understand how sensible people can't analyse very clear information and come to a similar sensible conclusion. And what have you found particularly frustrating about um, the candidate um, or the member that you want to displace, Josh Frydenberg? He was, after all, the Minister for Energy and the Environment for, for several years and is now the uh, Treasurer and Deputy Leader. Well, he's had all the opportunity in the world to show leadership uh, in relation to climate change. And really, all he's done is tried to make sure that he does everything which carries favour to his party. So he's put his career ahead of his responsibility to the people, the environment, or even to his own electors, in my view. Um, and now that he is a more senior member within the Liberal Party, um, he has a, a, an even more senior responsibility to ensure that the Liberal Party um, doesn't continue on in this climate denial fashion and actually gets on with addressing climate change. So all I can say is I've got nothing against Josh, um, but he really needs to stop putting his career of politician 
uh, and his position in the party uh, ahead of the best interests of the people he's due, he's due to 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 um, represent. And and Giles, it's not just in only in energy that you've seen this. If you look back, so I had to look back through Josh's voting record, but. You know, we're an intelligent, um, uh, you know, not that most of most electorates are, but Kuyong is a very well-educated electorate where most people have got double degrees. But, you know, he voted against any restrictions on gambling. He voted against any change to, you know, to, to, to bring in plain paper packaging. He voted against, you know, any form of carbon pricing and any real action on climate change. You know, he, he didn't want to have the federal government involved in the approval of of major projects that extracted significant amounts of fresh water out. So these are, these are mines of national significance because the amount of fresh water they delivered. He wanted to leave it to the states to make it easier for the approval of the mines. So, you know, I, I don't see that's what our electorate would have asked for. And, and uh, you know, I, I don't see that our electorate asks for him to deny the existence or fail to act on climate change. Going back to November 2017, you were evicted from a Liberal Party function when you sort of protested quite loudly at the um, at the presentation of a lump of coal to then Treasurer Scott Morrison. <laughs> you remember was... that evening, Charles? I think I vented to you about my frustration that evening. I think you did. Now, very soon after you were evicted, you you, you uh, rang up Renew Economy and uh, shared yeah. your shared your frustration. You said at the time that you'd be interested in forming a Liberal Environment Party. Now. If you're standing for um, for election in Kuyong and you've got other people, um, Zali Stegel in the city of Waringa, you've got Karen Phelps, a central, even centre-right cabinet uh, um, 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 politician um, taking Wentworth and other people taking Wagga Wagga and other, um, and other seats, maybe there's a demand out there from frustrated Liberal voters to, to set up a new minor party in the coalition. Oh, well, I think that there there is, and, and I've looked at it from two sides, that I, you can either try and um, change the party from within, which means slowly removing people, and that's hard piece by piece, and it's very negative when you have to go and remove people from the party, or you can take a positive view on this. So, well, look, you know, it's all fair fair, fair construction of the world. Uh, we'll, offer, we'll offer an alternative, and, and hopefully people will come over, and with that alternative, uh, we could end up with a, a liberal environmental party or a... I mean, what I call is not really a liberal environmental party, but, 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 but that was what I called it at the time. But effectively, it's a fiscally conservative, socially progressive bundle of individuals who know, you know, you don't want to blow your, your budget. Um, fiscal responsibility is important. But at the same time, you need to, uh, to marry that with social norms, which are constantly changing and progressing. And People want to develop themselves and their economy in, in this country as a is a forward-looking nation which is rapidly changing and therefore being socially progressive just makes sense. So this could be more than just an informal grouping. This could actually be a formal grouping of politicians. Well, I wouldn't be saying that there's anything formal at the moment. If it was to be formal, you know, I'd, I'd actually be formalising it that they would have to represent their seats and actually, and actually explain why they voted the way that they voted on the floor, which they can do so easily through electronic means now. The ability to communicate with your electorate and explain your decisions uh, is, is, is fundamentally changed. Parliament isn't anything like what it is before. The ability to communicate with your electorate isn't like anything it is before. I mean, I'm not sure whether that old model of a party system actually makes sense going forward. If you look at where people are joining up, they're joining up in relation to issues. People are issues-based today. They don't necessarily feel that they belong in one party or another, and the parties are not addressing the fact that... Uh, citizens feel issue-based and, and maybe parliament will move towards more issue-based politics. 
What's your view then on what the government should be doing with this energy transition? The current government seems intent on trying to slow it down. Should we just be letting it happen and get out of the way or should we be trying to accelerate it? Well, if you look at the, the, any form of um, climate pathway that you would need to do to try and stay within one and a half degrees, you would need to try and accelerate it. But at the same time, you need to accelerate it in a way that you don't risk overall system stability. And, um, and we all know that can be done. Um, so it, it's nothing new to us in the industry that if you set a reasonable time frame and actually set out a process of coal closures and you require alternative dispatchable capacity to come in, which is you know, what AEMO is there to do and what we've got all these regulators there to achieve, then the private sector will provide it. The private sector will provide clean alternatives. You just ask them to provide clean alternatives and they'll provide you with the lowest cost clean alternatives that are available. Hmm. Um, Oliver Yates, good luck in your candidature and uh, thanks for joining um, Energy Insiders. No worries, Giles. Thank you so much. Thank you, everybody. So look, um, certainly a bit of fire in his belly there, um, David. Um, probably not much chance of winning um, Koo Yong, but look, he might just give it a good shake. Uh, he might win a set. Uh, or No, that's hang on, the Australian <laughs> Open's move, Tassendon. <laughs> but Josh Frydenberg was an aspiring professional tennis player, so perhaps, you know, not, not entirely uh, misplaced. <laughs> Yeah, look, um, let's have a look at some of the other things which have been happening over summer. Look, um, the, uh, all sorts of um, new projects have been announced, um, sort of pending and otherwise. One of the interesting additions has been battery storage. Dalrymple, the second big battery in South Australia, finally got going after seemingly overcoming some of its islanding problems. Um, islanding is part of the uh, services it's supposed to be delivering down there on the York Peninsula. And of course, we have the Ballarat and Ganawara batteries and um, all seem to have performed um, reasonably well over summer and particularly last week when things got very tight in South Australia and um, more than tight in Victoria. Um, interestingly, in Queensland, the government utilities there have announced a Tesla big battery. Well, not very big, actually, but four megawatts, eight megawatt hours in Townsville. Now, this is an interesting one, David. We've seen lots of batteries being added to transmission lines and for transmission purposes, such as Ballarat, um, next to wind and solar farms, such as just about everything else, and also household batteries. This one kind of sits in between. It's in the local network. The idea is for it to actually support um, rooftop solar. They've got about 35% penetration up there in Townsville. Uh, basically ease the pressure on the upgrades of transmission, play the wholesale market and sort of you know provide some sort of backup power. And um, interestingly enough, the uh, specially created utility in Queensland, which is managing this called Eureka, not spelt the usual way, but um, with a Y at the start, um, is looking at it's about spe nine spelt the Queensland way, Giles. Spelt the Queensland way, indeed. He's planning about nine or ten of these ba other batteries. Um, Eureka really was um, set up and designed to sort of get around the ring fencing guidelines of the Australian Energy Regulator. But um, yeah, interesting process. It just and, and naturally, it's the Queensland government that's getting around the ring fencing guidelines. Not if the private sector was doing it, uh, there'd be a wrap over the knuckles. But you know, when the government's doing it, uh, well, not nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Absolutely, yeah. But I find it quite interesting because we're kind of looking at a bigger movement now towards some um, distributed energy. Um, you know, if uh, Eureka plans do go ahead and they get about nine of these, nine or ten of these batteries scattered around the network, and there's small batteries at household level, and um, they're expecting more batteries to be put in by industrial users, etc., etc. We are looking towards a decentralised grid. 
Um, and I'm, I'm going to have to add up all these, these batteries that have already been installed at the utility scale and just see how many uh, megawatts uh, we can, are being delivered. Uh, of course, it's a growing number. I just need to keep count of the total. I think, uh, you know, Queensland uh, is a big state, but this is not a, a particularly big battery at all. But uh, uh, we do know they have a very large community service obligation that is an obligation to supply electricity to rural consumers basically, who live a long way away from a generator. And that uh, community service obligation essentially is a loss that's carried by the Queensland government that I think from, from memory runs at a quarter, quarter of a billion dollars a year. And uh, there's a lot of talk about putting more wind and solar in North Queensland uh, with the big Kennedy Energy Parks and the Queensland North Queensland hub up there, much of which is dependent in part on what happens to the Gladstone Power Station. Uh, and transmission strengthening again. But I do think uh, batteries uh, and microgrids, uh, of which batteries are certainly an integral part, and these experiments are to be supported. But the question is whether Queensland's getting on with it fast enough, as usual. Yeah, indeed. In fact, um, on the Queensland, if you go back 18 months, they talked about their Renew 400 program, which is supposed to be a tender for a combination of wind, solar and storage. And they did their expressions of interest. They got about 100 replies and absolutely nothing has been heard of since. And they should put in a formal request to the minister just before Christmas. Never got time to write the story, but the response was... Um, Stay tuned. We'll let you know. So uh, apparently yeah, not I, abandoned. <laughs> no, a bit no frustrating. One, no, no one uh, is necessarily uh, questioning the competence of the Queensland government, uh, but well, I'm sure some people are. But I, I, I would say that I think that they, their 50% renewable energy target is going to need a heck of an effort if they actually really want to achieve that. And uh, I think in politics, if you say you're going to do something you these days, you darn well better do it because people do remember these things. Absolutely. And just along the on subject of storage and distributed generation, um, I just would like to alert listeners to our, um, our um, other podcast called The Driven. And um, this week I did an interview with James Kennedy, the co-founder and chief technology officer of um, Tritium, which is the Brisbane-based company, which has done extraordinary things and stolen a march against other major um, electronic companies um, taking a lead in fast charging networks and some of the things that James Kennedy says about the future of electricity, the possibilities with vehicle to grid and two-way charging of um, with electric vehicles, really quite fascinating and um, really um, very interesting future, not just for the networks um, for the future but also the retailers and um, how they managed to sort of carve out a piece of the, um, of the future grid. Look, Trevor St. Baker's an investor in Tritium, uh, you know, showing that a very wide uh, range of interests and, of course, an interest in making money that we all have. And I did read the other day, I think charging is one area of the electric vehicle industry that's developing in leap and bounds, showing that, as usual, where there's a demand for a technology improvement, uh, people go to work on it and, and start to find solutions. And I, I read in a paper, it might even have been The Australian, that uh, new electric Porsche uh, can get 60 miles, uh, that's 100 kilometres for the likes of you and I, uh, of charge in four minutes, which is a lot better than what Tesla can do at the moment. Absolutely, yeah. They're talking about sort of 350 kilowatt stations and 500 kilowatt um, um, charging stations. So, yes, basically naught to 90 in about uh, four or five or six minutes. Um, when you get to that level, um, I guess the longer term future is um, not entirely clear. If we do go to automated driving, who's going to want to do a, um, a Porsche? But um, that's probably a conversation for another day. 
David, I do want to wrap this up pretty soon, but I've just got another question about all the new wind and solar plants. While we've been away, there's been a bunch of new plants um, announced going ahead, some of them financed, such as the Darlington Solar Project in southern New South Wales. Le Cor Energy has just put its hand up for another big wind, solar and possibly battery storage project in Western Australia. Um, appointed Goldwind to manage that. That'll be about 120 megawatts of wind, 50 megawatts of solar, and we don't know how much battery storage. $250 million project. We know that the rent is already met. Um, what are these guys depending on it? Is it corporate? Um, is it corporate demand? Is it something else? Or is it just simply that they just feel that the cost of the technology is coming down and they might as well build and it'll all work out in the end? They're depending on all these coal generators rotting the market and they're going to make a, a, a good money out of it. No, that's, that's a bit of an exaggeration, Giles. But I mean, uh, what we are seeing is the ongoing, let's call it 5% per year reduction in the cost of wind and solar. It varies by the technology. And, uh, you know, we don't know what their levelised cost of electricity is. That is the, the price that they need to receive on average to make money. But we suspect at the moment it's between 50 and $60 really, I think, uh, and coming down. And they, they are betting that they can make money and that the... Uh, there is going to be the, gr the growth in it. We're seeing, we've seen, as we've remarked before and heard from Flow Power last year, which didn't quite achieve all its targets, that um, uh, uh, corporate PPAs are, are on the rise. And so you can still make money is the, is the short answer. And you don't, it would be nice to have the insurance from the, um, uh, the, the LGCs, but it's just you, you probably don't exactly need it at the moment. No, that's right. Okay. Well, David, look, um, thank you very much for that. And um, I think we might just sort of wrap it up there. And I'm um, looking forward for the next week. Um, probably more political um, shenanigans, um, more interesting movement. Still waiting to hear what the final date of the election will be. Outside possibility of March, most likely May. Um, and more we, fun. We must over talk summer. about climate change a little bit next week, uh, Giles. I think, too, uh, you know, in summer, it's always uh, uh, something that people listen to. Well, <laughs> so they should, yes. But I think um, um, Oliver gave it a fairly good go in his talk with us um, anyway. But look, um, thanks very much, David. Um, thanks, everyone out there for listening. Um, thanks once again to our sponsors, Watt Watchers and uh, Solaray Energy. And we'll be back again next week. Same time, same place. Bye for now. Energy Insiders was brought to you by Solaray Energy, leading innovators of smart energy management technology. Experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring, they're the smart choice for consumers and business. Visit solaray.com.au and secure your energy future today. Energy Insiders was also brought to you by Wattwatchers, makers of ultra-smart devices to manage electricity use and costs. Accurately monitor and control electrical circuits over the internet in real time. Visit whatwatches.com.au and take control of your energy use.